0: Hello and welcome to the tenth episode of the Tristan Aiden podcast. This is a slightly different episode where we're featuring a special guest, but as usual i'm going to start with introducing myself, Tristan
1: and my name is Aiden, and our special guest Desiree compton
0: so Hi. so Desiree's actually my mother, and uh, how about you tell us a little bit about what you do and uh, how you got to where you got?
2: Well, I have a background in clinical psychology and I work with people in the front line in the trenches um, basically community mental health. I also teach sometimes on the side psychology and do volunteer um, trauma and resiliency trainings.
0: Okay so what you know get into a little bit of the psychology aspect you were talking about. You said you teach psychology. What all does that entail? What aspect of psychology do you teach?
2: We I mean it's intro to psych so it's really cool. I actually get to go over everything. So with a master's degree you spend hours and hours doing upper division credits on things like social psychology, abnormal psychology, lifespan development, um, statistics, research, but in intro to psychology, you're just like briefly hitting on each one of those areas.
1: Okay. And uh, what got you into like that whole field of psychology?
2: I don't know. I'm one of the lucky people, I guess, where like I just knew what I want to do from a young age. That's I good. just knew. Really? Yeah.
0: Okay. So what importance in the world would you say what you do has?
2: You know, it's a really good question because I get, often get irritated because I feel like psychologists are, and I'm not a psychologist, I've a master's in psychology, so you can't call yourself an is without a PhD. Right. But the psychology field, right, if you look at sciences, computer scientists make the most money, and on the very bottom of that, psychologists make the least money mm-hmm. of all the different scientists, um, which is really sad, because what I actually feel like we do, and what the importance is, is we better the human living condition.
1: Right, and I feel like that's something that's super underrated, especially right now, because I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about the next billion dollar industry is mental health. And that's gonna be something going forward. And you guys are still being underpaid, like you said. So that's something to look forward to in the future. And the industry is just gonna
0: explode. You know, and I see one thing too, virtual telehealth, you know, that's gonna be a huge thing as well. You know, when it really comes down to it, skin and bones right now, especially with COVID-19, you know, 19, a lot of this mental health, or even psychology in general, is you know transmitting into you know an online version. What, what's your opinion on that? Do you think that that has had a positive or a negative um, impact on the industry?
2: It's interesting you mentioned that because I actually been doing telehealth on the site as well. Um, and before COVID, I actually have a passion and an interest in doing telehealth um, because it reaches more people. So there's right. something to be said about like the in person. But with this telehealth, you know, they lessen the guidelines on being able to do it, which I've always been interested in it. And you can reach people in rural areas. You can talk to kids now who don't have parents that are going to take them to appointments. Um, I think it's super valuable. It's a little bit complex. There's more ethical things that go into it. There's more privacy concerns that go into it. Right. Um, you know, you want to make sure people are prepared for their appointment. They have privacy the same way they normally come in. But, um, yeah, I think technology is the future. Another th- funny thing about it is, you know, we talked to everybody about screen time and like kids, stay off your screens. And you're, we're doing all this work, right, <laughs> to get people off the screens. And right. then we're delivering it. We're telling them this on a screen. While you're so, working
1: on a screen.
0: Yeah.
2: Of, <laughs> it's kind of funny, but.
0: I mean, would you almost say that that's like counterindicative then? I mean, if you're. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> when, I mean, when you're really looking at it though, I mean, if that's the way some people have access to, you know, those sessions, I mean. Have you seen maybe a, 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 a an amount of people that are able to get help that weren't able to get help before because of the fact that it's online?
2: Absolutely. And, I mean, how I manage that is I still talk to them about screen time and everything else, and then I just call it what it is right. and make a joke, and I'm like, even though we're on a screen right now, <laughs> right. you know, <laughs> you just kind of... It's about... Screen time's about time well, well spent. So if you guys have watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix, you know, all these engines have avatars, and they try to keep your attention. Because if it's free, you are the product, basically. And this is Tristan Harris. He's the one that talks about this. I'm not stealing his how he presents it. But they get to know you, and they get to know what you want, because they are all AIs. And then they feed you what you want. And you go on YouTube, and now it's been three hours, and you're like, where did my time go? Exactly. So, So technology and screens are actually great, but what I talk to the kids about is... When you're going on the screen, making sure you're doing something that's time well spent. Exactly. So I want to spend 15 minutes, I'm going to go and learn how to change a tire. Right. Or I want to spend 20 minutes to learn how to make these cookies. You want to have intent when you're going into it, how long do I want to spend? Or else you do get sucked down the Because
0: screen. it almost just becomes a normal thing in someone's life. You know, Instead of, you know, like you were saying, changing a tire or something that has a set amount of time, it can be very dangerous when social media becomes just a normal part of life. It's something that... It's almost like sleeping or walking, you know. It's something that you just don't really take into perspective until it, you know, eats away slowly at the hours of your
2: day. Well, like, we're yeah. already there. Yeah. And, and you that's you know, already happening. Especially, or
0: I would say with TikTok.
1: Yeah, well, example for an example of that is, let's say you want to learn how to change a tire or bake a cake. How are you going to do that? Well, YouTube's the probably the best platform to learn how. So you're focusing more time online learning how to do that skill.
2: As long as you're doing something I mean, yeah,
0: for sure. I mean, there's always a benefit in learning. On you got to just think about what it's getting. Thing.
2: So TikTok, I have mixed emotions about it. As a therapist, <laughs> I'll tell you, there's a lot of kids that will post these very emotional videos of, oh, this happened to me and this happened to me and I have this diagnosis and I hurt myself. And right. then someone that's struggling, now they're seeing that and they're influenced by that. You know how many kids I see that come in and they're self-harming because of, vid- and making videos on TikTok and it's freaking everyone out. And right. It's like... Get off TikTok, you guys. Quit worrying about what's wrong with you and trying to diagnose yourself. That being said, there's other kids that I talk to that are suicidal and self-harm. And I'm like, well, how do you cope with it? And they say, well, I go on TikTok and YouTube and I listen to these motivational, inspirational people. Right. So, you know, but we already are there. We're already spending a ton of time engaging in entertainment I mean, I talk to people that are like 16 hours a day on their phones. Yeah,
1: and TikTok's definitely not good because. How are
2: you making money doing that, though? <laughs> just making
1: funny videos. Yeah.
2: Well, may- I mean, yeah, maybe you are, yeah. but like. The average that are person's
1: just... not making money on there, and TikTok is so bad. And time is money, you exactly. know what I'm saying? Because it's just 30 second videos over and over and over. So that's giving a lot of people ADD. Because all their their attention spans are just collapsing on TikTok. You know, studies have it's also not giving them
2: ADHD. studies don't have think also so? you know I've, ADD I've looked. at is and, a is a it's a neurological thing. That so they can't get childhood. it from like TikTok. They get ADHD type of dysfunction okay. just from watching TikTok. We wouldn't all day? call it ADHD. Okay. I've
0: studied that a little bit because I know you mentioned that. Yeah. Um, you know there is strong research that supports against that. Just because I mean, like she was saying, ADD is something that would typically be you know onset young age. It's something that is. You know, I wouldn't say genetic, what would the word be?
2: It's probably definitely an attention problem, what you're describing, but...
0: It can reinforce... In my field, we haven't come up with
2: a diagnosis for that. Okay. We're we're really cutting down on the ADHDs. Right. So... Because
1: videos are getting shorter and shorter every day because our attention span is collapsing by Mm -hmm. the minute.
2: And definitely, we can't focus now, right? Because there's all these notifications. And And you know, a notification, when you get a notification you get that ding and it gives you a reward. It activates your dopamine system in your brain the same way cocaine does.
1: Really? Yes. Wow. So
2: people really get addicted. (laughs) They really do. There's been studies that have shown you you take the phone away and their brain starts going through a withdrawal as if they you have just came off crack. Ooh. And so you got these kid crackheads, right? right? Right,
1: walking around. Yeah, no, they do.
2: And then you take the phone away and they literally act like crackheads <laughs> they, and then throw big they tantrums do. and start breaking stuff and everything. I'm actually
0: glad you Still, brought that up because, yeah. I mean, we can we can bring a, you know, a pretty uh, relevant example from that. I mean, I don't know if you guys have, but there's strong studies support, you know, you shouldn't have your phone in your room also when you go to bed for that reason. It's... You know,
2: who's gonna really do that? Well, yeah. Of course, <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> yeah. Sign that me up. No, of
0: course, no one's really gonna do that. But I mean, <laughs> imagine you're laying in bed, and I'm saying this as a completely honest <laughs> example. If you're laying in bed, Being,
2: having it in your bed is different than
0: sure, having yeah. Room. But still, if it's in your room, you're not quite asleep, but you do hear that dingo off. That dopamine is going to be produced
2: throughout your body. I wear earplugs, so I don't hear mine.
1: Yeah, it's I'm good to have like, it in your room silented. though. Right. But to put it in a place that is not in reach. So you actually have to get up out of bed and grab it. Because when you're tired, you don't want to do that.
0: Exactly. And another thing, too, is if you make your room your place of study, your place of fun, if if you're on your phone in your bed all the time, then that becomes the environment you associate with it. Thus, you know, when your brain is trying to go to bed. So cute. My son's
2: trying to talk about sleep hygiene, but you're getting it off a little bit.
0: Well, go ahead and correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> but I know when you go yes. to bed, like, you know, if that's the environment where you're when on your phone. When you lay in phone... bed, you want to
2: train your mind that my bed is for sleep. Exactly. So when you hang out in bed and you play games and you read and you lay there wide right awake and you're on your phone, your bed associates your brain with your hangout spot. Exactly. And then when you try to lay down and go to bed, your mind says, hello, here I am, because you haven't gave your time, your mind time to process. Exactly. But, you know, your room is different, so it's okay if you chill in your room but if you can't okay. and this only applies to people that can't sleep like if you have no problem sleeping do what you do but if you're having a hard time sleeping these are conversations i have every single day right if you don't sleep in your bed get up after 15 minutes And by all
0: means if i get something yeah. wrong I, i'd actually really appreciate it if you corrected me because i mean there's stuff that
2: it's a podcast right we can just kind of both yeah you no, can, you that's the
0: have point to, like, exactly sports that's, sports that's the show yeah. yeah you know we're talking and we're trying to learn through the process I mm-hmm. mean you know, that's what the point of this is it's conversation you know, and it's, if you hear someone say something that's incorrect, I mean, for the viewers, of course you're going to want to correct them.
2: No, you have it mostly right, but yeah.
0: You know, and I guess bed is different than the room, but you know, if you dedicate a certain spot other than your bed, then it'll definitely right. help your sleep hygiene.
2: Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: So I don't know. How much do you know about sleep hygiene?
2: Um, A lot. And really I don't want to spend a lot of time on the podcast because kind of just like I talk about it all day long. It's like, ugh. That's but true. if you Google sleep hygiene, I mean, it's easy. You know, basically like we just said, use your bed only for sleep. Um, or sex, actually. They say sleep and sex, the two S's. Um, but really, if you can't sleep, don't use it for other things. And actually, I met somebody, I've met people that they have sex and they're like, you know, newlyweds and stuff. Right. So they have sex in their bed. And then even that keeps them up, right? Because they're exercising before yep. bed and now they can't sleep. So we even had to talk about okay, maybe you can find somewhere else right, right now.
1: <laughs> that sounds kinda rough though, yeah. because the beds like the hangout spot. That's a rare in most yeah rooms.
2: especially for teenagers. Yep. They chill in their bed. That's
1: where I'd play but if my you VR. can sleep
2: then you don't have to worry about it. But right. if you can't sleep then those are some really good tricks. And then progressive muscle relaxation of course where you breathe in very deeply mm-hmm. through your nose and you squeeze your toes and then you breathe out there's relax. a lot of different routines to get to sleep yeah I'd yeah th- just Google it that's
1: a really big problem though, insomnia and people not being able to sleep though
2: I mean I think about sleep as like gas for your car so you can have an awesome car right but if it has no gas it's just not gonna go And so, really, whenever I talk to anyone, I'm always asking questions, regardless of what brings them in. Anxiety, depression, substance use. One of the first questions is, how's your sleep? It's like, oh, I don't sleep. Then I'm like, we're honing in here um, because you have no gas in your car. So, obviously, you're a mess. Right. Yeah.
1: That is good. And I think taking, like, a bit of a detox on stuff can help you out. Like, I I watched this video the other day. It was a dopamine detox so what? yeah so he cool. deleted we some
2: dopamine dude dude Dopamine's i know good. he
1: felt 10 times better afterwards wait dude. what did
2: he do so it you was you shouldn't get rid of your dopamine. it was a
1: week straight so he said no music okay no notifications no pleasure at all no chocolate no anything dude so he
2: probably still was getting dopamine though from his natural environment then. yeah because yeah but
1: i mean he just he completely blanked everything out anything that could induce dopamine a dopamine rush he canceled
2: that's
1: out that's interesting yeah for a I week straight more, yeah I'll, I'll show hate. you the video it was a really good video and he ended up feeling amazing afterwards because he went to the gym he used to listen to music right he completely turned off his music no music at did he all Did you
2: still go to the gym yeah okay he had to so just no
1: music that, yep yeah. no notifications at all he threw away all his chocolate all his booze did he have his... a hard time in the beginning
2: yeah he yeah, hated it like yeah withdrawals yeah. Yeah. yeah but he
1: said afterwards it almost felt like psychedelic like he had such he, he, his pleasure afterwards was like... So nights. after what? after dramatically the <laughs> After his week, yep. But
2: did he go back to all the
0: things, which gave him... Yeah, a good, okay. obviously. Music. I, mean, <gasps> I actually really haven't even thought about that. That's yeah, that's a dopamine rush. Yeah. I haven't yeah. thought about that either. I mean, people with, you know, drugs or whatever, they'll go through, uh, you know, withdraw yeah. I wouldn't say withdrawals, but they'll, you know, keep themselves from it. That way they have that... Uh, they can
2: you know, get the high back. Yeah, They exactly. never get that first high back, though.
0: Yeah, I mean, of course, but... It's crazy to think that even with a natural body, a like, dopamine. You, like dopamine detox. you know that's what I mean?
1: something else. Yeah,
0: you know since we're talking about dopamine, and I know it, it's kind of like a parallel with another thing, serotonin. <laughs> and I know Mom loves talking about how serotonin works in the brain. and It's a I well,
2: have to. You
0: I'm know, it's that. a subject that I really like. So I would like you to just take over and get on whatever tangent you have to with just the word serotonin.
2: Serotonin, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Okay,
0: do tell. (laughs) SSRIs.
2: I don't prescribe medication, uh, but I talk about SSRIs all the time. So what is a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor? Um, Zoloft, Prozac, Blexapro, you know, all your things that most people take for depression. Right. They're like, I don't want to take this, blah, blah, blah. It means I'm crazy, right? And sometimes we don't need to take it. We'll do counseling, and we learn skills, and we sleep better now, and we're doing all... We don't need it, but then sometimes people really do have depression. They really do. They don't have enough serotonin. They do everything, and they're just so sad. Something they actually so cannot tired. help. Tired, and um, you know, counseling can do so much for you. But um, sometimes medication has its place. And you know, somebody with diabetes may not want to take insulin, right? Or right. they do though, right? Because if they don't take insulin, their body doesn't process sugar properly. Yeah. So I think about. SSRIs, um, kind of like like the same thing for serotonin. Um, and it doesn't mean you're crazy. It means you don't have enough serotonin. Like, is it in your head? Yes, it's in your head because your neurotransmitters are in your head. But they're also throughout your whole nervous system. And serotonin is responsible for things like sleep, mood, sex, appetite, concentration, a, a lot of motivation, a lot of things. So selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, basically um, our brain cells... Um, release these neurotransmitters, and then um, the next neuron receives them. And whatever's not used gets sucked into this pump. It's it's called a reuptake. So a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, or an SSRI does, is it blocks the reuptake of serotonin. So it blocks that pump, and then you have more serotonin floating around. So it's basically just letting your own serotonin float around in your brain by blocking it from getting sucked back into the cell. Um it takes about four to six weeks to work. But.
0: that's super cool. I, that's is that's it? That's I'm like, awesome. I feel like I talk that about this all day long. To me, I'm yeah. like, ugh. That yeah, was cool.
2: Very uh scientific. Right. It uh, takes a while to uh, That's when to I was talking weeks, about so. earlier psychology. I'm like, I didn't even bring up like neuropsychology, which is like my favorite. So yeah. get into
1: get right. into neuropsychology. What exactly is neuropsychology?
2: Well, it's how does your brain and biology affect who you are as a person, basically. Okay. So, and that was a good example of that. SSRI is most commonly used to treat depression. I
0: would actually like you to get a little bit more into that neuropsychology. I mean, it sounds like it's something that you're Don't interested mean in. Dopamine,
2: the mesolimbo. Cortical pathway, right? The yes. pleasure pathway. You know, when you're a geek, it's so fun because you can say something like, Ooh, I just had my mesolimbo cortical pathway stimulated. <laughs> right? Ooh. To me, that just like, if someone said that to me, I'd be like, Hey, the- like, that <laughs> is hot to me. Right. Or your somatosensory cortex, right? Right. So people can't see this, but um, you know, if you look at a brain, there's all these big, kind of bulgy things that come out. Mm-hmm. And there's one that goes across from one ear to the other and there's two actually one's your motor cortex and that is um your everything your body every single part of your body is associated with one part of that motor corp- cortex so i move my finger and then that part of that hump activates That's right i move cool. my foot foot, all that kind of stuff the somatosensory cortex is the sensation one mm-hmm. right Ooh, you stimulated my somatosensory cortex right it's right like, nerd porn anyways (laughs) so um yeah so your somatosensory cortex is associated with um each part of it is associated with one part of your body and you could look that up online you could actually see this big image of it um and like the tongue takes up a lot of space really yeah because think about it we eat with our tongue we're talking with our tongue like we use our tongues a lot and then you you hear about like our soldiers and things having phantom limb pain. So, you have your leg chopped off, right, or blown off, or whatever unfortunately happens, and it's gone, but that part of your brain that senses and feels is still there. So, they'll still have sometimes these pains because they don't have, or they still have the neurons that are activating. Couldn't you
0: have pleasures also, though?
2: Yeah, I'm gonna get into that in a second. It's one of my favorite things to teach about in class. What do we do about phantom pains, though? Is we actually use a mirror and we will use mirrors to kind of trick yourself to see your leg even though it's not there and then that part of your brain will actually slow down
1: and really stop. yeah like your brain's so freaking out it's like
2: i'm missing my leg pain signals because i can see it even though it's not there because we actually perceive pain we perceive all touch and even pleasure in the actual brain in the somatosensory cortex Jesus. best part of the brain ever now funny joke funny side fact is um, people that have had their foots amputated or lost their foot for some reason the foot area of the somatosensory cortex is right next to the genital area. And so because you're no longer needing your foot, the genital area, those neurons there, will start to take over that foot area of the brain. Mm -hmm. I'll be like, well, we're not using these neurons anymore. We're taking over. And people will have sex and pleasure and actually feel orgasm in the foot that's not More there fat. anymore. Is that why
1: people have foot fetishes?
2: It's a foot fetish. <laughs> <laughs> right? I don't know. I've never thought about that, right? but I don't. I've never heard of them all having no feet. So. That's a
0: very weird point. Yeah, it is. Yeah. foot
2: fetish is a whole thing. But anyway, don't chop your foot off to have a foot orgasm. Right. There's no guarantee it will work.
0: Someone's into that. But I
2: mean, I am curious. I'm like. Hmm.
0: That's a super, super cool thing.
2: Yeah, the brain is really cool. That's funny.
0: Okay, so, you know, there's another thing that I really enjoy talking to you about. And so, you know, I'm going to start with getting into an example. So, I just bought myself a super expensive, overpriced knife set. And so, you know what I'm doing now is I'm actually, I'm using the knives that I bought for everything. I don't have to. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, wow, this knife is amazing. And I find every reason to tell myself how amazing this knife set is. I spent, I mean, $700 plus on it. I'm going to find every reason to justify that decision. Can you get a little bit more into the science behind what that justification is?
2: It is my very favorite. So that's social psychology and one of my favorite parts of psychology. And my very favorite theory in social psychology is cognitive dissonance. Um, conformity is another one that's like Hitler and um, Zimbardo. and What's his name? Milgram. But anyway, cognitive dissonance. So it's based on the idea that um, when we have a attitude, it needs to match our behavior. And I wanna give credit to um, Elliot Aronson, that's A-R-O-N-S-O-N, who wrote The Social Animal, who is, explains it wonderfully it's an amazing theory, explains pretty much everything. So your idea needs or your attitude needs to match your behavior, right? Right. So if I am smoking and I think that smoking is bad, then I'm gonna feel uncomfortable. So that's that dissonance, right? Exactly. My attitude and my behavior are not matching. So something has to change. I either need to change my attitude, wow, oh, smoking's no big deal, like my granddad smoked till he was eighty, whatever, nah, 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 or I need to change my behavior and stop smoking. Condoms would be another example, right? Okay. Uh, you know, condoms prevent STDs. They prevent pregnancy. Everyone says, wear condoms. But I'm not using condoms. So then <laughs> I'm going to need to either change my attitude and be like, whatever. Like, I checked her out. By the way, speaking of STDs, you can't just check someone out, okay? I hear that all the time. And literally, like, unless you're looking into their blood cells, you can't just check them out. But right. anyway, so there's the, you'll do that. And I'm not using condoms Condoms i stuck. Or you will um, change your behavior and start to use them. So that's cognitive dissonance. So with your knife example, um, you had a choice of buying different various sets of knives. So once we actually make a decision, cognitive dissonance plays into um, what our attitude is. So he buys these knives, and he spends a lot of money on these knives, so, you know, his attitude is, I need to be fiscally responsible and, you know, use my money wisely. And so, obviously, he's going to think these knives are the best knives ever. And he's already bought them. Right. And, like, we see this with, like, vehicles, for example. Like, should I buy a car to save money on gas and be economical? Right. Or should I buy a truck so that I can haul more stuff and look cooler? And sure enough, once somebody's already made the decision, now all of a sudden I'm reading all about the trucks and I'm hanging out with truck people we just sit here and talk about the trucks right? or all the car people, right? After you make a decision, um, it affects that as well.
0: It's so cool. Cause you're trying to justify the decision. Exactly. You made. That's it's f- already
2: happened. It's a justification. And the funny thing is I love that we're talking about cognitive dissonance because this explains everything that's happening right now with politics and social media, and these arguments we get into. Right. So people have strong opinions. We're no longer hunters and gatherers. We don't have to survive anymore. We still have a fight-or-flight system. Our sympathetic nervous system still wants to fight. So we do it on social media. And we get get that (laughs) that high from the social media. But no, we feel very passionately, and we always have as people. We have strong opinions and values. And now we have more opportunity to be able to share those and to be able to try to argue with people. And what happens is maybe you have a certain belief and I have a totally different belief. And so we start going at it right on social media, just like freaking blasting each other and trolling and just all (laughs) the stuff. And all these people are watching and chiming in. So I'm going to pick something simple and say a brand of napkins. And you're saying, no, this one sucks. It's, your sucks mine's the best blah blah blah, blah. More money. And you're like you're so stupid nah, nah, nah. And you start insulting me a little bit right right,
1: Hashtag
2: right? and then i'm like no here's why my napkins are better than your napkins and blah 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 <laughs> really we're never going to change each other's opinion and cognitive dissonance explains why so my at my behavior right now is i'm spending a lot of time on social media and i'm arguing with you i might even be kind of falling out of character and being rude um I'm doing all of that. So obviously I'm going to believe in my opinion even right. more.
1: You my diet, attitude
2: yeah. is going to be even stronger. And it's the same with the other person. So it's it's kind of funny
0: because I mean then the point of people arguing to try to, you know, hey, this is why mine is better. It's actually reinforcing mm-hmm. the other person. Absolutely. To... Exactly. That's, that's, so that's why. Cool. People... I mean, does it ever
2: work? No. What no. ends up happening is people get mad or at the end there's, there's a lot of emotion and drama. And at the end. Everyone still believes the same way, but you have this kind of okay. We can agree to disagree. I still respect you as a person. Right. We had fun tonight. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get a beer tomorrow. We, we got our we got, our inter, we got our rage out tonight. But so. yeah,
1: that's 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 a really good point because everyone has so much bias now, and it's very subjective. Uh, you you don't really know the exact numbers, but on Twitter, like let's say forty percent of every tweet is negative. Like that's a big number, and you know what's negative productive stuff sells. yeah exactly you know, i mean it news has people's attention that
2: number I, I mean to me when someone throws a number out there i have to see this research myself right. so i'm not it's, sure about it's yeah you. Um, but it that would actually be hopeful because if you look at news it's almost all negative negative. and we have less crime now than we ever have people are more economically successful than they've ever been um, we're actually living in the best times ever yeah but all we see is negative
0: Because, unfortunately, that's all that we're shown. You know what I mean? That is what politics is. That's what social media is.
2: That's what sells. If you say, oh, here, we're highlighting this um, student that's doing so well now, blah, blah, blah. Or look at this amazing program that's happening. You see those, but more likely you're going to see the big, dramatic, horrible things because it activates your amygdala and sets off your again sympathetic nervous system and it's exciting and you're like holy cow and it gets you into alert but.
1: right well that's the whole thing with if when when people get satisfied stuff gets boring so let's mm. take a professional ping pong player for example this one guy he was like top 10 in the world he was satisfied where, where where he was at and he just completely collapsed wasn't even in the top 100 and that's because of his satisfaction if you're satisfied you're not going to get I can't any get, farther. No, exactly.
2: It sounds like my dating life. <laughs> <laughs> like you're used to the drama, right? right. I need the drama and Who I need the to struggle be? and right. something to go for. Now I'm at a place where I'm the best. No, but that's that actually, what?
0: I'm really glad you b- brought that point up. Some of the most yep. successful people right, are always trying to just make it further. They want to be right. somewhere else. You know what I mean? And so that. Not having that satisfaction with where they are is that drive. That's that motivation. Yes. You think so, Elon
1: Musk is satisfied right
0: now? Oh, you he know he wants to go to Mars. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and the thing is, when he gets to Mars, guess what? He's not going to be satisfied. Exactly. He's going to want to keep going. And that's what's pushing him to do it. It's when someone, you know, makes their first million and they're sitting on a nice house. They have a wife. You know what I mean? They very well could continue with life. But at the same time, if they're satisfied with where they are, good for them. But they're probably not going to continue pushing right. as hard as someone who isn't satisfied would. I don't know if that really does that tie into cognitive dissonance, or what would you say that would tie into?
2: That totally like gave me this huge deep thought and aha moment. And okay, to get into about. it. Yeah, so you know, in my field, we talk a lot about mindfulness, and that just means we're here. I'm here now. You know, if you focus on the past, you get depressed. If you focus on the future, you get anxiety. So we try to be here, Matt, now. It's, everybody calls it something different, right? I'm not going to get into it because I don't want to offend anyone. But, you know, being here now and um, wise mind, right? I'm aware of what's going on. I know what I'm thinking. I know what I'm feeling. I'm not trying to control it, but I'm here now and I'm okay. Um, So problem solving mind is what gets activated when we're not where we want to be. I want to be over there or I want to have this or I need that. And their problem solving mind goes, okay, here's what we need to do. Why aren't we there? What do we got to do? And so maybe that's part of that drive. Of, you know, success and satisfaction. is Part of it is that, and I've never thought of the problem-solving mind as a good thing, is, is what's kind of deep for me. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the way I've always thought about it is the problem-solving mind pulls you away from being real right here, right now. Right. And then you have the judging mind, which is the one that says, you suck, and it's your fault, and you're this, and you're that, right? And so in therapy, I really try to help people come here now be aware when your problem solving mind is going. So I mean I, I'm just be aware so... when the wise mind is going. But now I'm thinking the problem solving mind has a has a purpose because when it gets you to where you want to be, or I guess it drives you to get to where you want to be, but then even when you get there, you're never still happy. So right. maybe wise mind still is the place to be.
1: But I mean, I really enjoy that feeling when I wake up kind of late for work or school and I get that jolt of energy to. Find what I have to do and get to work. Because I just have that energy. Yeah. Yeah. I love that feeling. Yeah. But I mean, it's a stressful feeling. But you get the job done and you get it done 10 times better. Or like during
0: a busy, stressful day of work, you know, you have all this stuff to do. You know what I mean? And you just push yourself. You're like, at the end of the day, I will have it done. I just need to absolutely go for it. And when you're in the zone, you're in the zone. Right. I mean, you're working harder than you would work, you know, on any other day. You're just going for it kind of thing. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I I guess it's... It does
2: feel good. And I mean, I guess I'm so used to talking to... um, Sorry, my dryer keeps buzzing. (laughs) I'm so used to talking uh, with people that are suffering because of their problem-solving mind that I'm kind of used to seeing it as something like, hey, we need to be aware of it. We're not going to control it. So again, our problem-solving mind, or maybe this is... Are motivating I and mean, missed a whole different kind of thing we're talking about but it's very interesting i love talking about this stuff. it's
1: super subject subjective because having one trait all the time is not a good thing like mm-hmm. if you're always stressed out and have that same feeling every day that's not going to be beneficial at all
2: no and you know we have these telomeres in our brains going back to neuroscience and those are the strings of your dna and at the end of each telomere is a little kind of a telomere i'm sorry is the end of a chromosome and, um, it's, I kind of think about it as your shoelace plastic thing that goes around the end of your shoelace and it right. protects your shoelace. That's a good And the it. old, you know, the more stress we have, the older we get with age, however we, our habits make those shrink smaller and smaller. And when we get to the end of our telomeres is when we die, hopefully of old age. But what you're talking about is if this problem solving thing or this, I need to go, go, go to the point of stress and how do you know when you're stressed? We know when we're stressed, right? Right. I'm breathing heavy. I'm irritable. I'm just uh, worried all the time actually shortens your telomeres. Yikes.
0: You know, I'm gonna bring this up. It's kind of on a tangent, but I think it's something that you might find very interesting. It was uh it was actually on TikTok I saw it and this guy was talking about this his first ever counseling session and he talked about how it just had the hugest impact on his life. And you know the counselor was trying to, you know, as they always do. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, you describe your problems. You know what I mean? You come to the bottom and you determine what it is. You I know, do
2: it or help them do. You it.
0: help them do. They
2: it. yeah, they need to do exactly. it
0: exactly. So you know, I like, don't know them. Yeah, exactly. So, for example, this this guy, yeah, he was talking about how, you know, he just doesn't know where he is, like with life, and he, he feels blank. And you know, the counselor's like, okay, well, there's there's all these people in your life. You know, he mentioned his wife. He mentioned his boss, his sister, you know, he's mentioning all these different people in his life and he's, and you know, the counselor says, all right, you know, what is your sister to you or what are you to your sister? And you know, he explains, this is what I am to my sister. This is how I help her. You know, this is what I do to help her. Okay. And you know, what about your, your wife? And you know, this is how I help my wife. What about your family? This is what I am to my family. You know, this is how I help them. This is the role I play. You know, and just so on, so on, everyone in his life. And she asked him, what are you to yourself? And he didn't know. And he was just completely lost in the fact that everything he was doing was for other people. He right. didn't have time to find out the kind of person he was. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to get into it because that was a pretty you know, good right. explanation of what I saw. But, you know, what's your opinion on that?
1: You have to find yourself.
2: I I mean, I, I do a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy, so I, part of me was wondering if she was doing some cognitive reframing, you know, and right. so sometimes, this might have been part of his story, I don't know, but sometimes people will say things like, I'm worthless, I'm nothing, I'm horrible. I feel like
0: that's what he was And
2: doing. when you have these thoughts, so, you know, you have depression, anytime you have a strong feeling or anxiety, we want to figure out what you're thinking, what is the story you're telling yourself. Because you could do coping skills and sleep like we talked about earlier and exercise and pursue life goals but if you have these thoughts that I'm worthless and I'm no good those thoughts are going to make you feel bad
1: right right. and
2: so cognitive behavioral therapy is the idea of really challenging those thoughts and so what we do is we try to identify what are you thinking and he might have had some theme along that and then he's thinking I'm no good enough I'm nothing right and then we say well let's look at the evidence where's Mm -hmm. the evidence that supports that he might bring up some mistakes that he made or something someone said or whatever um, but then you always want to say, was there any evidence against this idea that you're nothing? Who are you to your mom? What would your sister say? Right? Are oh, you a good okay. friend? That's
1: a lot of stuff that do, have, do you ever
2: go out of your way to harm people? Mm-hmm. You know, and then you, you kind of build that up. And right. then you say, so now, who are you really? Can we change these thoughts from I'm this to something different? Right. So I'm wondering if she might have been doing a little bit of that. But yeah. she might have just been doing her thing, too.
0: That's pretty cool. And, you know, getting into, I know you were mentioning, like, what you are to yourself and, like, the the different things or whatever. And I wanted to get into something um, that I really enjoyed. Something that, you know, we were in Hawaii and you talked about a lot. And I think it's probably one of my favorite things. Um, What was the the name of the guy in Hawaii who talked about the theory of the different parts in your brain? Oh, internal
2: family systems. Internal family (laughs) systems.
0: That's probably my favorite.
2: Uh yeah, no, that's good. I you know, I do wanna give him credit. I have to think about it for a minute okay, or to look him up. But again,
0: you know, I'm gonna go ahead and start with getting just a little bit yeah, into what it was just it. to you know, yeah, keep the silence going. Like. But I mean, you know, internal family systems is essentially uh there's different characters in your brain. And I don't know if the word characters is best, but you know Think every, of the movie
2: Inside Out.
0: Exactly. Think of the movie Inside Out. There's anger There's sadness, there's happiness. All of these different parts in your brain are communicating. And, you know, in a sense, they want to be heard. You know what I mean? Then there's the managerial, you know, the manager in your brain. But, you know, you have to really get into terms with each of these emotions. You can't always be happy because then you're neglecting that sadness. You're neglecting that anger. And ultimately, these emotions exist for a reason. They're what, you know, get people through the day you know they're healthy because you know anger and sadness can sometimes okay. really prevent you know you from burning yourself or putting yourself in a situation that could you know very well be dangerous exactly so they, they,
2: they, they're there for you
0: exactly so
2: the training i went to was by frank dr frank anderson who was amazing i'm not kidding you the theory internal family systems was developed by dr Richard Swartz, and I should have known that off the top of my head. But yeah, so think about the movie Inside Out. So basically, when you're doing this is trauma based therapy is what internal family system is. Whenever something bad happens when we're little, um, you know that is called an exile or a wound. And what happens is parts parts start to form in order to protect us from that trauma. And the parts are usually however old um, the trauma is. So kid was raped at age seven that is so much the kid cannot handle that so parts show up like anxiety avoid people and depression don't do anything and anger you know all these parts show up and we give them names and there are firefighters right and those are the parts that are trying to put out emotional pain anger substance use Suicide, self-harming. I'm feeling emotional, so now I'm turning to these things so I don't have to feel it. And then there are the uh, managers that are like, let's try to control it so we don't have to feel anything. Anxiety, um, depression, um, controlling everything, OCD, those right. types of things. And so what the theory does is you are in self-energy, which is the same thing as wise mind. We talked about that mm-hmm. earlier. Are mindful. I'm here now. I'm aware of what's going on. And um, I'm in self-energy and you try to connect to that part. So I have anxiety. Okay, where's your anxiety? And really, instead of explaining the symptoms, looking inside of yourself. Well, I feel it. I'll actually share a story that I, I how I use this on myself. We have,
0: we have plenty of time.
2: Yeah. How much time do we have?
0: We go for normally an hour?
2: Okay. So I had neck pain for a long time. And I was trying to work on myself because I'm a kind of person that doesn't want to hurt other people. Right. And I'm um, kind of like the guy you were explaining earlier, like I do everything for everyone else. Don't hurt anybody, blah, blah, blah. And it was really bothering me because there was things that I wanted to do that I couldn't do because I didn't want to hurt anybody. Right. And so um, I decided, you know, because when you learn a new theory, you practice as a therapist. So you mm-hmm. role play. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to be simple. And I'm going to go after that part. Um, and so I called it the good girl, don't hurt nobody part. And I looked inside of myself and I'm like, where do I, where is this part? Where does this part live? I'm like, okay, it's like right behind my ear, it's like in my neck. It's just like always yelling at me mm-hmm. right here. Um, and I thought it was kind of funny cause I have a lot of pain there. I've right. had pain there for years. And so I asked it as you're supposed to do, how old are you? Part nine. And I thought, oh, Well, that makes sense, because nine is when I had to call the police, because my parents were involved in a domestic violence disturbance. One person went to the hospital, the other person went to jail. I had to take care of my siblings, right? Right away, I have to be responsible. Don't hurt anybody, don't let anybody down. As a nine-year-old, right? Right. Which is pretty impossible for a nine-year-old, but that part was important at that time, and it served a function to help keep me safe and help keep my siblings safe. So you kind of get to know this part, and you ask it how old it is, and then you... Instead of being annoyed at it, right? Because it's so annoying because it controls so much of my behavior. Just right. like, the anxiety part and the depression part mm-hmm. or the substance-using part or the one that wants to quit. That's suicide. I'm out, everybody, we're suffering too hard. I'm leaving. I kind of like that movie Split. I kind of think about that a little bit. Right. So even though it's, 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 you know, Inside Out But, you know, like, <laughs> okay. I'm out of here. We're all done. I'm, we're calling it. That's su- the suicidal <laughs> one. So, uh, you, you know, how you heal them. When you're in a safe place later on in life, if you're in a safe place and you're doing this, good. this sort of therapy, right? I know I have somebody that I, it's like, she likes the theory, but I'm like, you're not in a safe place right now, so we probably need to keep your parts. They're helping you.
0: That's very interesting.
2: You know? Mm-hmm. So I'm in a safe place now, so I'm like, oh, I want to work on this part. How old are you? Nine? Okay. And then you, you get to know it and you show curiosity. What is your job? My job is to make sure no one gets hurt. My job is to keep you okay, and then you thank it and you say, hey, thank you. You know, thank you for working so hard. I know this has been tough on you. But then you say, look at me now. I'm not going to tell very how old I am. Look at me now. I'm a grown up. Look, look, look around. Come here. And you kind of bring them into the, into the present. You hear them and you experience them and you let them share what they've been through. And you give them what they need as a nine-year-old that maybe you never got. And you say, look at me now. Look where we are. We're okay. Thank you. But you don't have to work so hard. Can you trust me? Can you trust me? I'm a grown-up now. I can do this. Right. And what would you rather be doing? Maybe that nine-year-old wants to go have an ice cream cone or go go ride on some swings. Okay, why don't you trust me and let me take over? So anyway, I did this work, right? You know what happened? What? My neck stopped hurting. No way. Yes. Really? What the heck? Yeah, and it was so amazing. And then this is something I do going back to that sleep thing when I can't sleep is I kind of look inside myself and I'm like, who needs attention? who's keeping me up right okay thank you right because we all have all of these parts thank you for doing that and um that wasn't me that was Aiden and dropping stuff (laughs) yeah and we i looked at all my parts you know and i'm trying to sleep and i said all right guys i hear you can you guys just trust me though look it's time to sleep we'll be able to solve these tomorrow right can you trust me boom back to sleep
0: that's absolutely that's so cool Cool thing about being is. as a therapist yeah. is
2: like you can like use it on yourself. <laughs> that is
1: really cool. So, how do you think that was possible? Did you like trick part of your brain to do that? I wouldn't
0: even say so much trick. You're talking to yourself.
2: In you a sense. Are, um, healing. Yeah, are healing. That's yeah, healing. You're healing your wounds, you know, these little wounds that happened when we were younger and we couldn't emotionally handle them when you have the emotional skills, which I do cuz I'm a therapist. Right. When you have that and you're in a place of self-energy, You basically heal them, but you hear them. So you think about these parts, like the inside-out parts. They're like little kids, and they need attention. And what we do when our little feelings show up is we say, no, I don't like you. You're annoying me. You depression, and you anger, and you anxiety. So then we try to make them go away, and we ignore them, and we repress them, and we do adrenaline, or we do drugs, or whatever we do to make them go away. And now they're like neglected kids, and they're screaming at us even more. So what you're actually doing is it's the same thing. I think about it's the same thing as. There's a little kid over in the corner, and they want attention. Right, and you give those parts of yourself the attention that they need.
1: That's a really good example, because that's exactly what a teacher is. A teacher is someone who uses what they teach in practice, mm-hmm. and so that's a perfect example of a teacher,
2: or someone that needs hella help. Yeah, trying yeah. to yeah. fix other people. <laughs> <laughs> I got some trauma guys. You know. Right? <laughs> a
0: bunch of people knocking on the door.
2: <laughs> I'm talking about my own. <laughs> yeah, the parts that are knocking. No, I'm just kidding. I
0: just think it's absolutely crazy that there was that physical, emotional correspondence and how you actually talk to yourself and it literally took that pain away.
2: Yeah, the pain in my neck. And it's, it's good. I'm glad we're talking about it because it's great. It's, it is a great tool. Um, I was using it today actually at work and it was so amazing. And I can't talk about work because of, of course. confidentiality. And we don't do a lot of trauma work in my role because I work in primary care, but it was so amazing. And this person was connecting to all their parts and they were in self energy and you could feel it and I could feel it. And we had to end and I was like, I really enjoy working with you. And they're like, I enjoy working with you too. And you could just tell so much healing happened today. It was so amazing. And when you that's the cool thing about my job, like yeah, we hear trauma and we hear it's stressful. You know, people are suicidal and kids are cutting themselves and right. we're busy all the time. But when healing happens, you feel it. You actually feel it. That's Like really someone cool. comes in and they you can feel their energy and their stress and their anxiety and their depression and then they leave and you can just feel this lightness. Right. Yeah.
1: that's kind of cool it's like a little odometer and it just goes down
0: Mm -hmm. so i mean one thing that i think a lot of people especially people that are new to counseling might have a problem with i mean i don't know i could be wrong if people are going to counseling maybe they have a reason but you know i feel like the big reason is people don't necessarily know how to like actually talk or maybe they're not ready and what i want to get into is you see that a lot, I'm sure. I mean, you talk to people and they don't want to really get into the stuff that's really, you know, deep. I had
2: that yesterday, yeah.
0: Exactly, and so um, that's a really normal thing for everyone. You know, you're not going to want to talk about the thing that's in the bottom of your chest, the thing that's kept you awake. You know, that part of you has just been such a huge boulder in the backpack that you're not ready to let go. How would you tell someone or guide them through allowing themselves to get to the point where they can finally talk about it or actually, you know, like, how would you structure that? Because I know as a counselor, that's that's typically the big thing that'll help people, right?
2: I don't know, actually. Okay. You're going to be surprised by my answer. Okay. That's um, a big question, really. What I know, it's a very big question. People have a, a skeleton or something horrible that's happened and how you get them to talk about it, and that's what's going to help them. That's what you're saying. Great. Right. Um. It doesn't, we don't always need to unpack trauma. You're talking about mm-hmm. trauma. And yeah. so with trauma, you're not just going to unpack it before someone has coping skills to deal with it, number one, because you unpack your trauma and now you have to go home, you know? Yeah. You, so that's hard. I don't mean so, to interrupt
0: real quick. I just yeah. want to ask is, um, say someone did something bad and they haven't told anyone, would that be too considered trauma?
2: I think so. I mean, it can be. It just depends how they're feeling about it. Okay. Um, That being said, if they did something bad, um, we wouldn't be able to tell anyone. Of course, confidential, unless it involved a child
0: Mm -hmm. or vulnerable, or if someone was in danger, or if they threaten.
2: If you threaten to go kill someone, I have to warn them, and
0: only them, right? Or can you call the cops? Okay, okay.
2: But if it's after the fact, I know that hasn't happened as far as killing. But anyway, Um, so yeah, so we don't want to open it. We. How we basically get to stuff and, you know, the thought I was having as you asked this is there's a shortage of mental health clinicians. You're waiting forever to get an appointment. Um, A lot of times, it's actually the opposite. People come in and it's the first time and they just puke on you. Uh, Before they even have it. Yeah. No, and you're like, holy cow, hold on. Because... (laughs) Uh, we don't, you know, you want to wait to get into trauma until people have the emotional tools to deal with the trauma. Right. But a lot of times, because people have been waiting so long for an appointment and they finally have a chance to tell someone, they're just like, here it is. Or maybe I'm just really good at establishing rapport. Um, but what I do is I'm a, really a professional question asker. So I'll try to figure out why are you here. I'll ask questions about how you're functioning. I'll talk about sleep. And then naturally try to figure out. So a lot of times just by asking questions, I'll be like, okay, this is anxiety. Okay, this is depression okay, this is suicidal ideation. You know, a lot of times you can keep it on a surface level, just like you go to the doctor and they treat the wound and they don't know exactly how you got it, right? But they treat it, they stitch it up. You don't mention, oh yeah, this happened because I was being an idiot. I fell over when I was drunk. You're just like, I hurt myself. Mm-hmm. And they fix. So you don't always have to get into it. I like a lot of solution-focused therapy, which is actually like, where do you want to be? So you maybe say, oh, I'm suffering. Okay, well, how do you want to be? I want to be happy. What does that mean? Right, And what we look at is what we find. So right. all we think about is our trauma and everything that's happened to us. We can accidentally, going back to neuroscience, create pathways that relive that more. Mm. Versus thinking about where do I want to be, how do I want to be, what are the exceptions to that. Now if that trauma is still activating us toward PTSD and flashbacks and nightmares and we can't function and we're hypervigilant, then we can heal that trauma by doing various techniques by memory reconsolidation, allowing them to finally relive it and witness it when they have the skills and they're in self-energy to reframe how that memory activates in their brain. Right. Um, but we actually don't want to do that right away.
0: No, that makes sense. Yeah. So I know, that of course, there's that confidentiality aspect. You can't talk about certain things, but um, I'm actually really glad that you brought up that a lot of people just kind of dump things on you. So do you see a difference when talking to people that dump on you versus... Um, You know, someone that... Okay, how about this? I'll reframe the question. Someone comes to you because they want to come to you, right?
2: They're motivated by themselves. Exactly.
0: You know, what's the difference like talking to someone like that versus someone who, say, their friends or their family urged them to, hey, maybe you should talk to someone about this. You know what I mean? Do you see that part of them that just doesn't want to get it out? Like, what do you think it is in people that just... Why do they hold that in?
2: Well, I first want to say every single human being in the world is different. Mm -hmm. So sometimes people are coerced and they'll still talk right away. And sometimes people come in on their own and they still don't. Every single person is different. What we're really talking about is trust. Okay. Do I trust you? And can I handle this? Mm -hmm. Right? If I don't trust you, why am I going to tell you this? I don't even know you. You know, do you even get me? And um, can I even go there right now?
0: Would you feel maybe being judged is ever a part of it? Well, yeah, we all
2: worry about being judged, right? I mean, it takes so much bravery to say I'm making an appointment with a counselor. Mm -hmm. That is something really serious. You have to be suffering or someone's really getting on you to do that. That being said, one of my favorite appointments is when people come in to tell me how awesome they're doing. Because that's great. But no, it's hard. You make this appointment, and then you actually, you're tripping out, right? Like, what is this person going to ask me? What are we going to do? And I have all this build up anxiety. And then you show up and now all of a sudden here they are. And, um, you know, it's scary. And so some people are like, okay, I can be real. And um, it, it also depends on how me and them connect, right? So that matters. You know, you don't marry the first girl you date. You don't necessarily feel comfortable with the first therapist you see. And that's okay. If someone's like, Desiree, I don't feel comfortable with you and you freak me out, whatever, I'm like, well, I'm really proud of you for being able to tell me that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's great. Let me find someone that can help you. Um, so, yeah, there's trust. And then sometimes people, whatever it is that's bringing them in is so painful and they've pushed it away for so long. It doesn't matter. They just can't go there right now. Because okay. I'm going to go there, and then I'm going to think about it, and I'm going to relive it, and then I still have to go home after this. Right,
0: even more stressed out. That's, that's yeah. got to be, oh, that's loads. So that's why that's we, we don't, don't just say, like, right so right tell there. me
2: your trauma story. Right. Right. Yeah, you know? yeah.
0: I guess you really got to think about things like that. That's I mean, why you
2: have to have a graduate degree before you can yeah. do this. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you don't just want to trigger the Okay, so for people that might be listening that are interested in joining the field... Um, Please do. You know, I <laughs> guess I have a question for them. When you start out, that's got to be a load on you. I mean, you're hearing stuff that they don't talk about. You're hearing about abuse. You're hearing about all of these terrible things mm. that... People don't know. People that have been raped. People mm-hmm. that whose parents don't know they were raped. Mm-hmm. And you're hearing this, and it's just, you know, how does it affect you when you get into the? and Does it get better? Do you
2: get? It's Again, just, that's another question where every therapist is different. Yeah, I guess so, so. For me, I mean, I think most of us go into this field knowing what we're getting into. It's a, you know, it's a, one of those right. jobs where not everyone can do it, but someone has to. And it's a blessing to be able to do it, which, by the way, is why we should make more money, I'm just saying, because of all of what he just said. But, um, yeah, you know, so I think starting out, it's actually really interesting because you've been wanting to do it for so long at that point. You've committed so much of your time and energy. You have already know what you're going to experience more than likely you haven't yet, maybe, or maybe you have because you got into the field because you've already been through some things. And you want to help other people. Is that common? Very common. Okay. You've been through some sufferings and you know what it feels like. Maybe you could help others.
1: Could it could it like hurt someone who's in your field? Like let's say I'm a welder and I weld, I have the potential to like lose my eyesight. Could it be like that for psychologists, like developing mental Ooh, health issues? Getting
2: burnout, yeah, compassion really? fatigue. That's the whole long right. there's a whole lot. Of wow, that I guess that.
0: that's a really good, a good question. Good with a really good analogy to it. Right.
2: Yeah, so I'll try to kind of tie that in that in. Um, but it's actually when someone first comes out of graduate school and you've been paying all this money, and you've been studying so hard going to co- back to cognitive dissonance, right? Now I'm mm-hmm. going to justify my, my my decisions to do this, but you're so excited to finally meet people. You're so excited to finally do it right. that you actually, the research shows that brand new therapists are just as effective as seasoned clinicians because they are so ready and they're so present and they have all the up-to-date research and interventions. Now that brings up burn up, right? Burn right. Out, right. So... Uh, We talk all the time about self care. We have to take care of ourselves, and we have to recharge because burnout is real. You know, you can only hear so much and do so much, and take on so much before it does become you. You know, and I wonder because there's there was that shooting. I think it was in Texas, of a psychologist. He shot a bunch of people. Wow. On base, um, yeah, it was a whole thing, and I wondered about that. I was like, I wondered if he took on so much of other people's stuff that he became it. But it could not. Not and again, kids. like you said, right. it's
0: different for every person. Every too.
2: therapist is different and every um, every person is different. And that's a big awesome awesome thing about our field too is we try not to lump, lump people in boxes. I guess right.
0: that's like a really good point. I mean, I, I asked a couple of questions and that was the response is everyone's different. And I guess that's one of the most interesting and beautiful parts of the industry is that no matter who you're going to be talking to, who the therapist is going to be, every interaction, no matter what, is going to be different because every single person <laughs> is unique and has their own, it's you know... It's
2: not just therapists and clients, right? It's all of us. We're it's all everyone.
0: Different. I mean, everyone you know, like something. If you're an accountant, sure, you run, you run numbers and, you know, you know the numbers. You know how they work. You're used to seeing it. You know, as a counselor, I mean, you might have to... Uh, uh, one particular moment adapts to a situation you've never experienced before. You know, that's just amazing. It is exciting. That it's is stressful,
2: a- but it's right. exciting. Okay. And someone's trusting you. Yeah. Someone is trusting that's you. Cool. You know, with their, we all wear these masks all the time. and We have to be this and we have to show that we're that. Like, I get to see who people really are. Right. You know, they take it off, which is really, really a that's blessing cool. again. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, we better the. I mean, you guys are humans. I'm a human. Our job is to better the human living condition, which I think is very valuable. It should be the most valuable thing. Right. But we do get a lot of reward naturally from being able to heal that, to feel that healing when it happens, and to be able to actually see people, real Mm -hmm. people.
0: Okay. So, um, we are coming up on 55 minutes. So, I do want to kind of tie this into how we're going to end. But um, I'm going to bring up just a quick. Super irrelevant, but something that my mother is always brought up growing up, and she totally doesn't know what I'm gonna say. I guarantee it's so unrelated. I think I do, no, you don't. Okay, you know, tell me what you think I'm gonna Patented
2: say. of distortions.
0: Okay, cog- <laughs> sure, cognitive distortions are cool. Cognitive. Okay,
2: it's not that, what is it? No,
0: I mean, it's just... Google that. Yeah, Yeah, co- No, a cognitive distortion for people that want to know... It's those
2: negative thoughts. Is those like negative, negative thoughts. thoughts. It's- Where we do the cognitive behavioral therapy.
0: I always do, I always yeah. mess up. Yeah. My life is yeah. just always...
2: What were you going to say, though, then? No,
0: I want you to just somehow, and I'm actually going to task you with this because it's going to be difficult. I want you to tie into the conclusion of this podcast something completely unrelated i'm gonna throw you on a curveball mm-hmm. okay i want you to tie in to the end of this conversation sticky
2: tape sticky tape okay um you know everything's psychology to me so it's not hard to tie it all in it i together. guess <laughs> sticky tape is this cute thing um that someone told me that a pastor told him and it's basically about romance and intimacy so um You know, when you first have two pieces of tape that are very sticky, you stick them together and they they really hold. And that's kind of like um, young couples. They haven't been with a lot of people. You mess with them. You get all the oxytocin. You get all those uh, neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin and norepinephrine we were talking about earlier, but mostly oxytocin. And you get it to the extreme, right? So, but if you go around sticking your tape on everything, like eventually it doesn't, it's not as strong of a connection. Right. Basically. Um, And that can go into cognitive dissonance, right? Um, It can go into maybe I've been hurt too many times. And so now my attitude is that I don't want to get close. So my behavior is I stick my tape all over the place. That being said, though, there's still there's always going to be oxytocin and norepinephrine and serotonin. You're always going to get that in close relationships, right? But yeah, sticky
0: tape. I'm so... I I think it's funny. That's a great analogy, though. It's
1: not mine. It's
2: not mine.
0: No, I just... That's something that I've always, like, brought to it, like, my buddy's attention and whatnot. Because he's been
2: with the same girl for a long time and they're young, so he likes a sticky tape. You guys' tape is really sticky. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think sticky tape... (laughs) It's getting stickier. I mean, looking at it, (laughs) though... I mean, it can. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Looking at it, though, I mean, I just see the importance of it. I mean, maybe to a lot of people it may not seem significant, but I mean, just like, especially... Well, it's not to them
2: because they've stuck their tape a lot of well, times. Exactly. So now their attitude is different because of cognitive dissonance. And now they're like, whatever, sticky tape doesn't matter to me. I don't want to be super close to my person. Well, that's because their behavior has... And like, at
0: the same time, that makes me sad. Because I mean, like, to me, love is real. And I know right. a lot of people might think it's not, but like sticky tape just it's just such a
2: love is a whole nother thing we, that's a whole we could do a whole podcast about love.
0: Plus, yeah. super good we'll yeah. do a podcast on <laughs> love one day but okay. um, that'd be fun
1: having like a debate podcast that just
2: would be like the whole like what is a soulmate really is it a t- yeah. real thing yeah that would be a fun show so okay
0: you know maybe it was a little difficult to close on sticky tape but I, i'm not yeah. as focused and concentrated you know with every subject yeah i <laughs> probably what it is to no she's actually working currently a seven to seven shift so she's wow. working from 7 p.m to 7 a.m she just got her shout
2: out to grace yeah, shout out to my out. beautiful friend i <laughs> shout
0: out every episode she just got Aww. her cna license she's doing awesome um you know she definitely gets stressed out sometimes over it but she's doing awesome and i'm trying to like let her know like right now is the very beginning of you know a new career one thing I like to tell everyone, especially even if it's something like Subway or Cold Stone or Taco Bell or more, you know, rigorous, you know, pathways such as, you know, law or construction, anything of that sort. What I try to tell people is the very beginning is so important because that's when you get to prove yourself. If you go for it, balls to the wall and you care about what you're doing and you make that impression on people and you just show and convey to them like you care about what you do and you absolutely give it your all. That is the most important part in my opinion. Like that very like. I got to jump in
2: here because you guys are almost out of time and I want to think about people that have made mistakes and haven't given it all in the beginning. Because That's the people that I know Mm -hmm. and we all do that. All that being said, yes, go for it. Make good first impressions, work hard. Right. But there's something to be said about a comeback story.
0: That is true.
2: There's something to be said about I you know, I made mistakes and I wasn't my best and you know, I can't do it and being able to turn that around and I've done that actually multiple times. The comeback story is a strong one. So. The comeback
0: story is awesome.